good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here. Happy New Year. So glad to be here with you today, and it's been awesome. Even though it's a little, like, misty outside, I'm loving it. Like, better than the whole freezing weather that we had. Uh, this has been nice. So I'm glad you're here. Turn to John chapter 4 if you want. We're starting the series uh, that we uh, just, you just saw the bumper for, Resolutions. We're talking about New Year's resolutions. I know everybody's excited about that, right? Uh, not at all. Like, some of us are like, I, if you know what, if I looked at last year's resolutions, I think I would be disappointed in myself, right? Um, and so let's not compare uh, scales and let's not look at all that, right? I think a lot of us can get discouraged as we look at those. I know myself, like, the only time I burned 2,000 calories last year was uh, when I overcooked some brownies in the oven. So uh, for me, like, it's not really going too well, you know, as far as that goes. But um, that's kind of what we want to talk about is what it means to have some spiritual resolutions, some resolutions that are going to have uh, more to them than just uh, those simple uh, things. And, and while we do that, let me just say, uh, you may have noticed on your way in all of the steel that's out there in the yard and the grass. Uh, we're super excited about that. That's, uh, that's going to be our future worship center. That's going to go right out here. And uh, what, we're just super pumped about uh, the next steps here at Harrison Bridge. You may or may not know this, uh, but I think it's the first time we've had any new building, new construction on a campus other than our downtown Simpsonville campus uh, will be that building. And so you'll start seeing some of that happening over the next couple of weeks. And uh, that'll be a lot of fun as we navigate how to get in and out of our church for a little while. Um, but man, we'll, we're going to be excited about that. So it'll be, it'll be really great. Um, so New Year's resolutions are something that I think a lot of us, uh, if we get, we, we usually don't have like uh, very, very spiritual things to it. The, the top five I looked at for 2023 is 52% of people said they wanted to exercise more. 50% um, of people said they wanted to eat healthier, which I could actually appreciate the other 50%, right? That was just like, I mean, it's not going to work out. Like, I'm just going to eat how I want to eat, right? Um, 40% said they want to lose weight. 39% uh, said they want to save more money. And number five on the list with 37% said they want to spend more time with family and friends. And what I thought was interesting about that list is like the first four things, the majority of people it was very self-focused resolutions. It wasn't even until the fifth one actually involved other people or like engaging other people in your life, right? It was just all of them are very personal, self-focused uh, things. And I think a lot of our resolutions can be that way. A lot of our resolutions can feel very selfish or self-focused and not really focused on maybe what God has or how he's expanding his story through what he's doing through us. And I think we can maybe feel as if we need to just try harder this year we've just got to try harder because last year i had resolutions I had good intentions on january 1st but man by the time i hit february 1st like those were all gone right or maybe it was january 2nd you were like i don't know that lasted a day it worked right um i'm a member of a gym uh which means i, I pay money to a gym that i don't really see the inside of often and um so I'm a member of sports club, and it gets really, really busy at the beginning of the year, like super busy. But it doesn't take long that people just kind of stop coming after a while, right? And so that's just kind of the reality of where we are. And we could feel like we just got to try harder. Uh, there's a, um, I listen to the radio in the car, and there's a, sp a specific radio ad that comes on every five minutes. And sometimes when it comes on, I'll switch the channel and that guy's on a different channel, all right? And it's 
a nasally obnoxious voice of a guy selling cars. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not even going to say his name, all right? Because uh, some of y'all are like, I work there and I don't appreciate this. I'm not trying to say that. But he's on every station. And you flip the channel and he's on another station. And I could, I could even repeat back the whole ad to you. I've heard it so many times. It's, it's on all the time. And I, I, can't, I can't really stand it at all. And uh, my kids know if it comes on, I'm flipping it to something else. And this is what I noticed the other day is that he sells Mitsubishi cars. When's the last time you saw a Mitsubishi car at all? Like even saw one riding down the road. Like does anybody even own a Mitsubishi car? And I'm like, we hear these ads every few minutes on the radio. It must not be working because I have not seen an influx of any Mitsubishi cars, right? So we start feeling like we got to try harder. Trying harder is not always going to do it. You get it? Are y'all, are y'all asleep this morning? Did y'all stay up too late? All right, y'all stayed up too late. Me too, I did too. Um, but we're going to go through this together. If I see some people yawning, I may call you out. Is that all right? Do we have that relationship yet? Can I just point at somebody? I'll be like, Mike, go get that guy over there, you know? Uh, we'll do that. So Mike's on duty. Um, but yeah, so the reality is trying harder is not enough. And let me just say this. When you experience something worth sharing, when you experience something that's exciting, you, you don't have to force it out of somebody, right? Like when... Um, Ladies, when you first got engaged and you were just so excited to show everybody the ring, right? Or you're so excited to tell people. Um, some, sometimes you, you just kind of maybe rub your shoulder just to see if anybody will notice, right? If they'll kind of happen or just kind of throw it out there or put your hand out there in a picture. And they're like, oh, yeah, see, so you got something. We actually got engaged on April Fool's Day, uh, my wife and I, okay, which, which was cool. She didn't think I was joking, which is a good thing, right? Because if she was like, ha-ha, good one, that would have been like, yeah, you're right, <laughs> My bad, like that, would, I would have probably not known what to do. Uh, but everybody that we called thought it was an April Fool's joke. And that was the worst part about it because we didn't have social media back then because I'm old. And uh, so um, we just had to call all our family and they're like, I just don't believe you right now. Um, but when you experience something worth sharing, like it's, it's exciting. You, you want to share it. You, you want to tell people. You want to celebrate with people. This past week we went to Atlanta with my family and uh, there was a TV show my kids like, and we went and stopped at some of the places where they filmed it. That was exciting. Like they, they wanted to tell their friends about it. They wanted to text their friends and be like, check this out and see where we went. That was, that was cool, right? Like, because when something that we're passionate about, when we're excited about it, you don't have to force that out of it, out of us. And this time of year can give us an evaluation in life where we look back and go, you know, Last year, here are some things in my life that I want to surrender more to the Lord. Because the truth is, it's not about trying harder. In the book of John, where we're going to be today in chapter 4, John really starts off trying to help us get this picture of spiritual blindness. And and what I mean by that is that the the disciples themselves were experiencing the world in a way that, that they were not seeing the bigger picture that God had for them. They were only seeing what was in front of them. And so in John chapter 2, uh, Jesus says, uh, for instance, he says, 
uh, this temple will be destroyed, but it will be raised up in three days. Well, the disciples were like, well, I know it takes over 30 years to have built this temple. So even if it's destroyed, which is prophesied in Scripture and did happen um, 70 years after Christ, but even if it is destroyed, it takes longer than three days to, to rebuild this temple. What Jesus was really talking about was the fact that he was going to die on the cross, that that temple would be raised again in three days, that it would be him. In John chapter 3, the next chapter... Uh, you, you may know this story because John 3.16 is obviously the most quoted verse in Scripture, but G, uh, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus and tells him he must be born again. Right? Nicodemus is like, well, that's a weird phrase. Am I supposed to climb back into my mother's womb? Like, I don't understand what this means to be born again. Jesus is like, you're missing the spiritual application of this. You're spiritually blind to the fact that God has a larger plan for you. In the story we're about to read um, about the woman at the well in John 4, Jesus even approaches her and says, um, let me have a drink of water. And as he tells her that, he also says, now I have something called living water where you'll never thirst again. And that confused her even in that moment. She was spiritually blind to the fact that salvation that he was offering her was something that would actually fulfill her soul, not just her body. Later in, in chapter 4, Jesus speaks to the, to the uh, disciples who had gotten some food, and Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And what he's speaking about is that actually the will of, of the Father that has actually put him on this earth. And, and the disciples just were, were spiritually blind to that. So what we have to be open to right now is that we sometimes can be so short-sighted that we become spiritually blind to what God has in front of us. And I'll be honest with you, at the beginning of 2022, I had some really great things in mind. Like I was like, these are some things I want to do with my life. Here's what this year is going to be about. Bright-eyed, optimist, whatever, down the road. And God had some other plans for us in 2022. And if you know my story, my wife dealing with uh, cancer this past year is not something that we were counting on. But here's the thing, and this is what I've told students for years. I did student ministry for 20 years. You don't know where you're going to be 20 years from now or 10 years from now. And you don't know what you're going to be doing 10 years from now. or what. You may think you have an idea of it, um, but you don't know where you're going to be. You don't know what you're going to be doing. But you can determine who you're going to be when you get there. And here's the reality of 2023. We don't know what 2023 is going to bring us. But what we can say is, I want to resolve in my heart to be the person, the man or woman of God that God has called me to be and realize that no matter what I walk through this year, it's a platform for the gospel. No matter what joys I walk through, no matter what challenges I experience this year, is going to be an opportunity to bring praise to our Savior because he deserves it. No matter what pain, no matter what joy, no matter what, God's going to get all of it. So we kind of get the spiritual reality of what this year should be about. This was my first sermon was John chapter 4, Woman at the Well, and I was afraid that um, I would preach like five minutes. I was 17 years old, and I was afraid that I'd get up and like basically be like, yeah, so love the Lord with all your heart, let's pray. And I just it was, you have no clue, you know, until you get up here. And I was a, a, a nerdy, quiet, uh, terrified kid, and and, uh, and I ended up going like 20 minutes over, and my youth pastor had to kind of be like, wrap it up, you know? That's not what you want to see when you're preaching, is somebody like, wrap it up, buddy. Um, and so uh, I, I do, did learn years ago, like, hey, I'm not going to go too long, and y'all are used to Dallas going long, so I'm ending on time. 
all right? I went two minutes over in the first service. I was on time in the second service, um, and so we'll be good to go, all right? But let me summarize this story, and then I want to focus on actually the end of the story, because what this resolution that we're going to talk about today is resolve to bring people to Jesus and why that's important. Now, the story of the woman at the well is interesting. At the end of John chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist is making some headway in the area. And if you know anything about John the Baptist, he was called that because he baptized people, right? Submerged people underwater. It was a picture of what the gospel was, the fact that we died uh, to ourselves but were raised to new life in Christ. And of course, um, Christ actually uh, gave us even deeper meaning to that through his own death burial and resurrection. And so as John the Baptist was baptizing people, there's this picture of, of being cleansed from our sins and forgiveness. And the Jews did not like that a whole lot. They were, they were not fans of, of this teaching, but John the Baptist was actually pointing toward Jesus. So Jesus is starting to rise on their radar. And so he realizes that and he starts heading up to Galilee. On his way up to Galilee, he actually stops by Samaria. Now, Samaria was a place that a devout Jew would avoid. It would be a place that was kind of looked down on, right? It'd be like going to Alabama. You're like, we're just going to avoid that state altogether, right? Like, we're just going to try and not go there. Um, at the end of the day, though, he was like, I, I have a plan to get there, right? He shows up. The di disciples say, we're going to go get some food. Now, if you're like me, you're like, That's, that would be my first thought, too. Like, when I show up at a new place, I'm like, where's a good place to eat, right? Like, let's find the top-rated place, and let's go there. And while you're eating lunch, you're like, where are we going to eat dinner tonight? Like, that's just what you're thinking about. The disciples are thinking about that, too. So they're out getting food. Jesus, the Bible says, is tired, and he's thirsty. And this may not mean much to you, but to me, I think it's, it's just an incredible testimony to the fact that when Jesus came to this earth, he was 100% God, but he was also that 100% man. He was tired. He was thirsty. He sat down by this well, not, not just because there was a God-ordained moment in this time, but also because he himself was very thirsty. Now, he sat at kind of a weird time of day. Normally, this would be the first thing you would do at the, the beginning of the day, is maybe go to the well and get some water. But um, at this, uh, the Bible tells us this is the sixth hour of the day. This woman coming there, we can make some assumptions about that, um, why she wanted to come to the well at a time when other people would not have been there. Maybe, uh, maybe she just didn't want it to be busy, but most likely uh, there was something more to that. She could have been embarrassed uh, by the other people that uh, may have seen her there because of her lifestyle. Um, she may have felt judged by them, whether she was judged by them. The Bible doesn't say, so I don't want to add to that. But what I do know is she showed up at this well at a time when there was not a lot of whole other people there. And Jesus looks at her and says, will you give me a drink of water? Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus, as a Jew and a man, looks at a woman who is also a Samaritan and says, will you give me a drink of water? Because she immediately says, you're asking, you're speaking to me? You're talking to me? You would like me to get you a drink of water, right? Can, you want me to draw this out of the well for you? It, it was not appropriate or normal at any point for a, for a man, especially a Jewish man or a rabbi, to speak to a woman. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But she, surprised by that request, she draws him some water, and Jesus says, here's the deal. Um, I actually have a living water where you'll never thirst again. Now that, again, the spiritual blindness there, what does that mean? I will never thirst again. And he says, well, go get your husband. And she says, well, 
I'm not married. And he says, you're right, because you've been married five times, and the guy that you're living with now is not even your husband. I mean, can you imagine, uh, first of all, can you imagine being a person that is looked down on and treated poorly by society, um, whether it's your own decisions or just the fact that she's a woman and a Samaritan woman, probably uh, doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot to her name, and always look down on to have somebody look her in the eye with care and compassion and say, hey, I want to know you. I want to talk to you. And then somebody who actually knows your whole story and still talk to you. Can you imagine how she felt in that moment? And she says, wow, this is crazy. He says, I, I believe on this mountain there will be people who worship in spirit and truth. What a great passage if you want to go back and read that later today. It really is awesome to talk about true worshipers but what what's really interesting is in verse 27 it says just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman but no one said what do you seek or why are you talking with her so the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people come see a man who told me all that i've ever did all that i ever did can this be the christ they went out of town and they were coming to him. And then verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know indeed that this is the savior of the world. Man, what a, what a cool picture. Immediately, it says the disciples came back, and she left her jar and went home. Now, the first observation is the fact that the disciples saw that he was talking to a woman. I think this is actually important. A, a few notes, I think, worth noting is that she's a woman and she's a Samaritan. I mentioned that devout Jews would avoid Samaria altogether. It's why even the, the, the good Samaritan that we've heard the story of was such a big deal, because Jews themselves would not want to be helped by a Samaritan. That would not be something that would be good. And even the Samaritan to be used in that example would have been poor taste, right? And so he says, hey, like, here's the deal. Like, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't even matter who you are. In fact, um, the, the point of the text that we're talking about is not the fact that Jesus spoke to her and that she was a woman, but I think it's worth noting. Um, I read this uh, quote from John Piper this week. Wherever Christianity has become deeply rooted in a culture, the treatment of women has improved. Jesus treated women differently. His mother, Mary Magdalene, the woman bent over for 18 years, the Phoenician woman, Mary and Martha, the widow with two coins, and others. But wherever his word and his gospel take root and hold sway, men treat women with respect, and they take humble, courageous initiatives to protect women and create stable, loving families where covenant faithfulness of a husband and wife display the mystery of Christ to his church and his church to the world. Man, I thought, what a, what a beautiful picture of what this really is about, that Jesus is reminding, hey, I'm elevating women. I'm not looking down on women. I'm elevating women because as Christians in Christian homes, we should be loving and elevating our wives and loving our family the way that Christ has loved them. This idea of spiritual thirst is not something that's new to Scripture either. And the psalmist talks about uh, thirsting for God. Psalm 63, my favorite uh, psalm, talks about that. Isaiah 12 says that men and women will draw from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 55, come you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Even Jeremiah talks about that. So this idea of, of living water is not necessarily this 
whole new concept. It's synonymous with the Old Testament. As Jesus is even speaking, he seems to know a lot about her as he talks about the living water. Now, I think that would catch her off guard when he's like, yeah, you've been married five times. Now, obviously, uh, that would even catch our attention, wouldn't it? If you met somebody and they were like, yeah, I'm on my fifth husband, you'd be like, I need to know your story. Like, what, what is your deal, right? Like, do you, do you live on top of, like, a poison mound or something? Like, what's happening? Um, you would want to know uh, why somebody's been married five times. And, and it's not to say that somebody's been married five times is, is uh, wrong or bad. It is to say that it, it piques your curiosity. And this woman in this day, in this age, we can infer some things that we have to be careful on adding to Scripture. But it's possible that either she was interested in lustly things or she wanted the security of that relationship and those relationships did not last either way she was in a broken world in a broken relationship and yet jesus still spoke to her whether she felt like an outcast or not now the disciples weren't there as i mentioned because they were off getting food i heard one pastor say they were more interested in sandwiches than salvation right that, that they were out getting food while she was here and let me just say this that alistair Begg says to every christian that may be pre- preoccupied with that which is helpful but not the best this exhortation rings out from the lips of jesus i tell you lift up your eyes look to the fields they're white for harvest this reminder that the disciples were still focused on these temporal physical things when jesus is like i have a way way bigger plan than that temporary little sandwich you're looking for i have a plan to impact not just this woman's life, but the entire village of Sychar has changed because of what happened at this moment. And so the bottom line today is that a transformed heart leads to a transferred gospel. I know that sounds a little crazy uh, worded, but, but let me say it this way. A, a heart, somebody who has truly followed Jesus and experienced that grace really actually wants to share it with other people. It's a natural outflow of who we are. And so I want to share three things about this. The first one is that her priorities changed. Her priorities changed. She showed up at this well with a jar to get water for herself, but it tells us in verse 27, she actually left that jar there when she went back. Now, maybe she knew she was coming back. She was bringing people with her. Maybe she also knew it wasn't as important as the message she had just heard, and she wanted to run faster back. I don't know. But what I do know is her priorities changed. While she showed up to this well to get water, she experienced living water, and that changed her priorities. It sent her looking a different way, because to truly experience the gospel changes the way that we live. We become new creations, new creatures. When we've experienced the gospel in our life, we have enthusiasm. I actually remember when I first started following Jesus in my life. I was 16 years old. Uh, it was January 19th, 1997. I remember exactly that date because my, my life changed forever in that moment. I remember the enthusiasm I had in my prayers saying, God, don't let this wane. I always want to have this passion for you. And I wish I could look back at 2022 and be like, there wasn't one moment I regret. But there's tons of them. There's tons of moments where I've fallen on my face or, or been tired or exhausted or just pursued my own sin and and i constantly need the lord to remind me of that grace and that passion that i have because when you truly understand the depth of the gospel and the width of the gospel and it's impacted your life it changes the way you view the world and i think we are afraid to share the gospel with others because we're motivated by our fear rather than being motivated by our passion 
Aren't we afraid of what people will think of us, right, if we talk to them? Maybe we're afraid of, like, not knowing enough. So we're, we're afraid of not having all the answers. And so whatever it is, there's some fear, there's some reason why we are not sharing the gospel, not bringing people to Jesus. This woman experiences the living water, and Jesus didn't have to go, now the next thing that you need to do is go find your neighbors and make sure you put their name on a prayer list and then start praying for them. She immediately just went back and started telling people, could this be the Christ? She was excited because she's experienced the gospel. It's not our job to save people. It's our job to share. I think sometimes we can think, man, it's, uh, you know, I, I haven't saved that guy yet. No, it's our job to be obedient to share. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw people and do that work of saving uh, work. It's not up to us. But Jesus gave us a great commission. In Matthew 28, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, Jesus ascending into heaven says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine being an apostle who has been following Jesus? You've watched him crucified on a cross. You've watched him raised to life and, and appear to over 600 people. And now in this moment, you're, you're literally watching him ascend into heaven as he's saying, go be my witnesses. I'd be like, let's go. We're doing this thing, right? Like, I have no doubt, like, we are here to follow you, Jesus. And you wonder why the disciples would be willing to give their lives or even be beaten within an inch of their life. Man, they experience the gospel. It changes your priorities. The great commandment should not uh, be a burden to bear, but it should be a, a joy for us to share. It shouldn't be like a checklist where we're like, oh man, this is the next thing I got to do uh, in order to be faithful. No, it's saying, man, this should be a natural outflow of the joy that's in our hearts on a daily basis because we understand the grace that's been offered us. The second thing is that her past didn't disqualify her. Now, she could have easily felt like I wasn't good enough. And I know there's a lot of people in this room that could say, man, you know what? Maybe I haven't been married five times or haven't been through all the things she has. But if you just knew what I'd been through, you would say, Pat, your past disqualifies you from really sharing. And so maybe we think, well, you know, I, I mean, maybe God can save me, but certainly I don't need to be a mouthpiece for him. Let me say, like, in her situation, this woman goes back to town. She tells the town, the town that she was just avoiding at the well itself, and says, you've got to find out about this guy, because this guy changed my life already, and brings them to Jesus. And the town of Sychar, we saw on the, at the end of that uh, verses I just read, they said, not only because of your testimony we believe, but now we've heard Jesus, and because of his testimony we believe, because of his words and what he said, we believe in him. So her past didn't disqualify her at all from sharing the gospel. God is at work, and when God's at work, you will be amazed at what happens. In fact, I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves and what we think, man, if I'm good enough, or if I got all the right words, or if I've got everything together, that we're really taking a lot more on ourselves than we should. The Bible tells us, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man could boast. If you could earn it, you'd be proud of it. It's not something you can earn. 
In fact, there's nobody that's been so bad that they're beyond the saving arms of Jesus. And there's nobody that's been so good that we don't need Jesus. We have to realize that none of us have a past that disqualifies us. Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses. Even Ephesians 4, I think sometimes we can feel like, well, that's what pastors are for, right? We pay them to do this ministry uh, thing, and um, that's, not what I'm, that's not my gift set. That's not what I'm here for. And yet Ephesians 4 tells us that God's actually given us pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. If it's up to Pat, like we're only going to reach a very small portion of this area. But if it's all of us realizing that this, this joy, this, this passion, this command that he's given us is for the church, that we would love the world around us so great that he would change their lives, we would realize there's something more to this. It's, just, it's a spiritual blindness that we need God to awaken us to. And the third thing is that her people were her audience. Her people were her audience. The most effective missionaries are people from that culture, right? Like that's just, that just makes the most sense. I think sometimes we go on mission trips, people do want to hear from us simply because we look different and we sound different. Um, but at the end of the day, the most effective missionaries are the people from their town. This woman ends up telling her town, you've got to meet Jesus. And they came out to meet Jesus and their lives were changed. And because God is a God who seeks out others, we want to be like him as his children. We should be seeking out others. It should be on our hearts that we care about the community around us. So many people know Christians for what we're against, right? Or so many people know Christians as judgmental folks who are telling them how to live. I don't expect any lost person to act like a Christian. When I meet a lost person and they start apologizing for the way they're living, I'm like, I, you don't need to apologize to me. That's not what I'm here for, right? I'm here to show you love, right? Jesus is offering you something different. Jesus loved this woman exactly the way that she was, but he loved her too much to let her stay that way. And so the beauty of the gospel is not, hey, change up your life so that you can be good. It's, man, follow Jesus. He can change your life. So she went to her people and shared the gospel. I thought about this earlier that um, I heard a pastor share this illustration once, and he said, if I give you a dollar for every minute you were awake, right? So um, that's roughly a thousand minutes a day that we're awake. He said, if I gave you a dollar for every minute, you're like, that's a good plan. I like that. Let's set that up. Um, all right, let's, let's do that. And he said, um, but you have to use that minute productively, right? In order to keep the money, you have to use that money or that minute uh, productively. I think most of us would probably, I know myself, I'd be like, see you, Wayne, I'm out of here, right? Like, just kidding, I wouldn't. Um, but I'd be like, hey, I'm, all right, I'm going to make $1,000 a day. I'm going to make sure that all of my time is productive, right? I'm going to make sure that every one of those minutes is accounted for so I can turn those in, get my dollar per minute, and that's going to add up to 1000 a day. That's going to be a good life, right? And, and, and yet the reality is that you and I have been given this opportunity, this breath, this, this, this minute of every day to be able to share the gospel and to live praise to the Lord, and yet we squander it and we waste it day after day. It's worth far more than $1,000 a day. It's worth far more than a dollar a minute. And yet, how much of our time do we miss out on? I think we overcomplicate sharing the gospel because we feel like, well, I don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I have it all together. And let me just say, you can share what you know. It's okay to look somebody in the eye and say, I don't know the answer to your question. Let's find out together. 
I'm going to call my friend Mike. He knows the answer to that. We're going to walk through that together. Or, hey, if you don't mind, let's, try to, let's look for it through the Word together, see what God says about that. I don't know that. It's okay to say, I don't know sometimes. It's okay to look somebody in the eye and say, I don't know the answer to your question, but let me tell you what Christ has done in my heart and in my family. And man, I want you to have the same joy and same passion that I have, that in the midst of no matter what you're going through, your situation does not determine the joy in your heart. I hope that you you would find that moment to share with others the hope that's within us, because truly, as a culture, we have hitched Christianity so much to Westerndom that we miss opportunities to just love people the way that Christ loved them, to have God-ordained conversations with people. I, I've been out to lunch with people before, and the waiter or waitress will come to the table, and they'll say, well, hey, we're about to say a blessing. Is there anything we can pray for you about? That's not my style. Like, that's not how I roll. But that guy, it's great. It's great for him, right? He does that. It's a great thing for him to do. Find a way that works for you that you can say, I want to be able to open up doors to have spiritual conversations with people so that other people can see the hope that's within me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the love that you show us day in and day out that we don't deserve, the, the hope that's within us. And, and Father, this morning we, we point our hearts towards you. We hope that you help us to see past our own circumstances, to open our spiritual eyes and resolve in our hearts this morning to bring people to you. That 2023 would be a radical year in our lives because this new building we're building is not even going to be big enough for Harrison Bridge because you are doing such a work in our communities. You're doing such a work in our families, at our workplaces, that God, you would use us as your witnesses. Thank you so much. And we love you and pray this in Jesus' name.